Question one, what kinds of repentance are mentioned in scripture? Now our answer is going to parallel the answer to what kinds of faith are mentioned in scripture. Ultimately, just as there were only two types of faith, there are only two types of repentance. There is saving repentance and non-saving. Now we, we normally break them down a bit more than that and I'll, I'll give you two very common ways of breaking down uh, or delineating non-saving repentance. But ultimately there's something like repentance that isn't repentance and so it doesn't lead to salvation and there is something that is true repentance that leads to salvation. Here's the first kind of non-saving, what's often called, and is even called in the Bible, uh, uh, repentance, but it's not saving repentance. It's this, it's emotional repentance. Emotional repentance. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, mention is made of, quote, worldly sorrow, but it doesn't produce repentance, rather it produces death. There can be a kind of sorrow for sin and troubles that isn't actually full repentance. Or Matthew 27, 3 to 5. It says Judas was seized with what we would today call remorse. But it's the same, but, but, but it's a word that means something like repentance. Judas was seized with remorse, but its result was what? Self murder. It resulted in death, not life. It was an emotional reaction to the realization of the horrible sin that he'd committed, but it didn't lead him to turn from it. He really just wallowed in it and drowned in it. It didn't lead him to go to Christ. It led him to take his own life. So he had some of the apparent marks of true repentance, but in fact, his consisted mainly in dread or horror of conscience. You see, just being sickened by your sin or even terrified by your sin, that's not enough to be saved. It's a great starting place. It's not enough. Judas saw the evil he did to himself and others and experienced emotional pain, uh, regret, fear, feelings of remorse and guilt. It's repentance of a sort, but again, not a life-giving one. A second kind of non-saving repentance is what we might call legal repentance or outward repentance. This is when someone goes through the outward motions of repentance, but there's no heart attached to it. A good example is King Ahab in 1 Kings 21, verses 27 to 29. Outwardly, Ahab humbled himself. He put on all the trappings of mourning, if you looked at him, you would have said, oh, he, he has the marks of a repentant man. But he doesn't do these things because he hates sin or has offended God or understands his guilt. He does it because he doesn't like the consequences of his sin. And he's trying to do something to make those consequences go, go away. You know, many of us have done that or know others who have. Again, a very common response that's a, a kind of repentance or partial repentance, 
but because it's incomplete, it's not saving. And then a third kind of repentance is, of course, saving repentance or repentance unto life. Uh, Acts 11.8, God granted to the Gentiles repentance unto life, a sorrow for sin that led to salvation. Or 2 Corinthians 7.10, godly sorrow brings repentance, the verse says, that leads to salvation. See, remember, Judas's was worldly sorrow. That was 2 Corinthians 7.10. But all that kind of sorrow for sin that's not, that it's worldly, it's not unto God. It's not according to his standard. It's not done for his glory. But godly sorrow does lead to repentance. So that's question one. And again, there are many ways that could be broken down, but you get the idea. Two, and, and the opening of our answer might have shocked a few of you, but why is repentance called a grace? I know in the fundamental uh, Baptist church life that I grew up in, uh, we would have never called anything a grace. That's what, that's what Roman Catholics talk about. But of course, every work of God in our life unto salvation is a grace. It's a gift. It's, it's a, something not earned that, that we don't deserve. And, and so it's a grace. Um, why is repentance, though, in this question called a grace? The short answer is, because it's a gift of God to unworthy sinners. It's something God gives to people who didn't earn it, don't deserve it. So it's a gift. It's a grant. Acts 11.18 says, It is the grant of God. It is the gift of Christ. Acts 5.31 God has exalted Christ, what? to give repentance and forgiveness of sins. Now, that's not everything God gave Christ for, but that's what he tasked him with. His resurrection from the dead, his exaltation, was so that he could actually dole out repentance and justification or forgiveness of sins. Like faith, repentance in a man flows out of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Um, when you're born again, you have repentance. You have a right way of looking at your sin, and so you respond correctly to it, just like faith. Well, repentance works the same way. Ze Zechariah 12.10, I will pour out the Spirit of grace, and they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn and grieve. This is part of what happens when a renewed person is given the message of the gospel. They see Christ on the cross and they recognize their part in that and they mourn and grieve over it. That's repentance. We need this to be a gift to us because, of course, none can repent of their sins by the power of their fallen nature. There's no spiritual power there. But when the Holy Spirit replaces the hard and helpless heart 
with a new nature, a new heart, will they receive a new principle of spiritual life and ability. And suddenly, faith is directed correctly, and repentance not only makes sense, but springs up in the heart. Repentance is even one of the promises of the new covenant. And of course it has to be. If it's, if it's part of salvation and what God gives us to save us, the only time and place that was ever earned was by Jesus Christ as the priest and the sacrifice of the new covenant. So we have texts such as Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, um, and other places, Hebrews 8, of course, which quotes that. So believing and repenting are abilities given to us uh, by God. Uh, again, those are promises of the new covenant that when he works in us, uh, we receive. We just receive. All right? So that's why repentance is called a grace. And it's a, that, that's a right term. It's a gift. It's a grant. It's a grace. Ah, question three, but why is it called a saving grace? Why is it called a saving grace? Two short answers. The first is because wherever true repentance is, so is salvation. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7, uh, 10 again. Worldly sorrow doesn't produce uh, repentance, but, but godly sorrow does and leads to salvation. Wherever true repentance is, so is salvation. But secondly, because repentance is a condition, it's a necessary work of salvation. Again, this is what we preached about uh, recently multiple times, but especially a week ago. Unlike faith, it's not the means of our justification. It's not the means of uniting us to Christ for forgiveness and righteousness. But repentance is a necessary condition to salvation according to Scripture. If you are impenitent, according to Romans 2.5, you are storing up for yourself wrath for the day of wrath. Or Luke 13.3 and 5 say that unless you repent, you will perish. You, you must repent or you will not be saved. It's just that simple. Positively, if you do repent, your sins will be forgiven, Luke 24, 47. Or think of the, the famous incident in Acts 2, verse 38. Right? When the, when the men realized what they'd done, they, they had put on the cross, they had murdered the King of glory, God himself, the Messiah. They they genuinely pleaded to know the answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? What did Peter say? Repent. That's, that's what he began with. Repent. So we can rightly talk about repentance as a saving grace in the sense that it's necessary for salvation. Repentance, no matter how uh, good, how genuine, doesn't earn you salvation. But repentance is a requirement of salvation. All right? Now this challenge in some people's mind is continued in question four. Doesn't this conflict with salvation through faith alone? I mean, does, 
doesn't this teaching um, go against the doctrine of salvation through faith alone? Well, we need to be careful here. Notice I didn't say justification through faith alone. I said salvation through faith alone. And there's one sense in which salvation is through faith alone and another way that the Bible denies that salvation as a whole is by faith alone. Faith alone or a faith that is alone will not save you. Faith alone does justify you. True faith does justify you. It does unite you to Christ in all of his riches of grace. And one of those riches is repentance. But it's it's not um, it's not by faith alone in that sense, all right? So the phrase faith alone refers to the fact that we're justified by the merits of Christ and we obtain his merits. We are united to him through faith and only through faith. We truly do believe in the just in justification by faith alone. We are not justified through repentance in no way, shape, or form. But the phrase doesn't intend to say that faith is the only requirement necessary for salvation. Faith and repentance are both required as our holy living. And we could break this down other ways, I suppose. But um, And of course, faith and repentance, because they flow out of the work of regeneration, are a they're inextricably bound together. Just like we've been talking about in, in Hebrews in the last few weeks, how faith and hope are almost the same thing. They're, they're not exactly the same thing, but they're, they're so closely linked. Well, so are faith and repentance. Uh, some people even describe them as two sides of one coin because each implies or necessitates the other. For example, if you stop putting your faith in yourself or a false gospel or a false God and put it in God in Jesus Christ, well, what is that? Well, that's a, that's a turning from sin and turning to God. That act of faith is an act of repentance. And so while, yes, they are distinct, it's very hard to separate them. Repentance is a turning from sin while faith is a turning to God. It's almost as if I'm standing here and hear the gospel and I, I turn in repentance. Well, my turning away from sin and repentance is a, is a turning to God for salvation. And again, not to make them the same act, but just to show how closely bound together they are. True faith is never exercised without repentance being present. And true repentance for salvation is never exercised without true faith. This is why Peter and Paul and Jesus and everybody in the New Testament, they don't every time go, well, uh, what must I do to be saved? Sometimes they say, repent. Sometimes they say, repent and be baptized. Sometimes they say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. There's all kinds of ways of saying that. And it's because those things are so closely knotted together that to truly have one is to have the others. And you will do the others. Um, If you tell a man to truly believe, if he does truly believe, he is repenting. He will be repenting. All right? So this doctrine is not in conflict with salvation uh, through faith alone or justification through faith alone. 
All right. Uh, question five, what is the essence of repentance? Well, for any children listening, the answer is to turn around. A repentance is to turn around. All right. Is to change direction in your life. For you adults, a bit more precise definition is a change of mind that results in a change of moral direction. A change of mind that results in a change in moral direction. There are two basic words for repentance, uh, saving repentance in the New Testament. One of them, um, the emphasis is on a change of mind, a new way of thinking. Right? This is enlightenment. This is regeneration of the, of the mind. The other aspect is, um, is more directed toward the will and affections. And that's to, to go live a new life, to, to make this decision that I, I'm not going to live that way anymore. I'm going to stop my lying, stealing, idolatry, uh, adultery, whatever. I'm going to stop all that, and I'm going to start doing this. Now, sometimes it's very partial. Sometimes it's, but it's, it's a real change of direction. The main Old Testament word simply does mean to turn around. It's the typical word for that. So, in other words, repentance isn't at its core to feel sorry for your transgressions, but it is to truly grieve over them and intend a change of course and direction in your life. Uh, this is why in some of your Bible versions, Instead of the word repentance, sometimes you will find the word convert or conversion because we typically think of conversion as, as yes, an inward process, but one that leads to an obvious outward change as well. Um, so don't get confused about that. It's the same word or words, um, and they're simply trying, they think this word conveys it better. I'm, I'm not sure that it does, um, but... So repentance cannot be rightly defined as just a, a, a narrow change of mental opinion. No, it's a, it's a more radical change of mind that leads to a change of heart and life. Now, just as an aside here, and I think this is pastorally really important, some people take this definition and they say, yeah, but pastor, wait a minute. Everything in my life hasn't changed. In fact, sometimes I wonder if my life has changed at all. I mean, so have I not repented? And if I haven't repented, then I'm obviously not a real Christian. Just like some people really struggle with faith. Do, do I really have true faith who are real Christians? Uh, some, of course, aren't, but many are. It's why they're worried about it. <laughs> it's, it's why they're concerned. This definition doesn't make repentance to be a perfect work. Before glorification, it's not even a thorough work. But it is a real work. It's a sincere work. It's a wish and mind work. That's where it starts. And so the question to ask yourself isn't, oh, I just sinned in the same way again. How can I be truly repentant? 
I mean, that's necessary for salvation. How can I, how can I really be a Christian if I just keep doing this over and over? No, biblical conversion, biblical repentance can live in, in the same person that keeps doing that. Because again, just like faith isn't perfect, neither is repentance. The question to ask yourself is more, what do you think about this action? Are you labeling it as a, as a sin? Does it trouble you? Do you want to change? Do you make attempts to change? That's repentance. And it will sometimes, and increasingly, in your Christian life, show itself in actual action. It must do that or it's not true repentance. But it won't be perfect this side of heaven. It will have all the same kinds of ups and downs that all the other aspects of your uh, spiritual life have, that you as a true Christian have. The ups and downs of faith, the ups and downs of your emotions, the ups and downs on your prayer life, all, all kinds of things, all right? It may be that you have truly never repented and aren't a Christian, but don't assume because you struggle with indwelling sin, with remaining sin, that you haven't truly repented. One day it will be a perfect repentance and it won't be needed anymore. It'll be a grace that can be discarded. What a wonderful day that will be. There are some elements or marks of repentance. I'll just mention these real quickly. These are the things in our answer. And this is why, uh, in part, this is such a wonderful answer. Um, the, the elements or marks of repentance are a true sense of our sin. In other words, we say that that thing I'm doing or did was sin. We own it. We own it. We truly believe it. We don't excuse it. A true sense of our sin. We understand our actions the way God does. That's necessary for true repentance or saving repentance. Secondly, an understanding of God's mercy in Christ. You know, there has to be a faith that God is good and desires to pardon us. Romans 2.4 Don't despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance, his long-suffering, don't you know that the goodness of God, he says, leads you to repentance? At some level, you have to understand that God wants repentance and has provided mercy in Christ for those who do repent. Right? So a true sense of our sin, a knowledge that there is mercy when we, re we repent. Thirdly, grief for our sin. We do need to truly emotionally, not just with our minds, although that's the starting point, but, but with our bodies, with our souls, repentance mourns and grieves over sin. Sometimes too lightly. And so we ought to aim for God to truly help us to feel the sinfulness of our sin. Not to stay there. Not to feel like you're a great Christian because you feel awful all the time. No. No. Forgiveness follows repentance and joy. 
Don't be a Judas. Be a Peter. Right? But James calls us to lament, mourn, and weep. And we ought to sometimes cry over our sins, be shocked over our sins, be disgusted uh, by our sins. Yeah. All right, and the fourth thing in this definition is, is then hatred of our sin, not just grief, but um, uh, hatred of our sin. One of the marks of a New Covenant believer is that they loathe themselves for their sin. I hope you rightly rightly love yourself. I hope as a Christian you also loathe yourself. Sounds a bit schizophrenic. This side of heaven, it, it perhaps sounds that way. But for those of us who know uh, what one of the sisters said after a sermon a few weeks ago, oh, the sweet pain of being convicted by the sermon. That's exactly right. Oh, the sweet pain. I hope you've all experienced or felt that a hatred, a disgust for your sin, and yet relief. Because you know that God is teaching you, speaking to you by his word. He's treating you as one of his children, and that brings joy, right? And then the, <clears throat> excuse me, then the final question, what is new obedience? What is, that, that's a phrase maybe you haven't heard before. What is new obedience? It's obedience from a new nature. Obedience from a new nature, from a born-again, renewed, regenerated new nature. So new obedience is following after God and his laws from a principle of grace, not legalism and out of the spiritual life put into our souls by the Holy Spirit of God. Romans 7, 6, But now, we have been, now that we have been delivered, we should serve in the newness of the Spirit. The law doesn't change, but the ability utterly changes. We are now made new by the Spirit, and He powers our lives to obey God. So this is new obedience. We receive new motives or motivations to obey God. It's done in a new manner. We now delight in the law of God. Even if it's only in our mind. Think of Paul's words. In my mind, I delight in the law of God. Yes, because you are a repentant person. Does that mean that you always perfectly obey then? No. <laughs> because this mind thing, as it tries to work itself out the body, it runs into remaining sin. It, remain, it runs into this weak flesh that we live in. And of course, this obedience has a new end. We're now obeying God because we want him glorified. We want him to shine in the world and people to love and respect and hold him in awe. But again, it's new, but it's not perfect. Not yet. Not yet. Notice the words, and you can't notice because it's not on... I didn't give you the right sheet. Again, I apologize. But if you could look at this answer, notice it doesn't say that this is results in perfect obedience. 
it results in purposed and endeavored after obedience. In other words, you know what is right. You have a will that now says, at least part of the time, I want to do that, and you even try to do that. That's what, that's what Christians look like. People who know the law of love, who purpose to do it, and work at it. Do they always succeed? Absolutely not. Sometimes they fail miserably time and time again. But it's real, and every true Christian has, remember Hebrews 10.23, love and good works. This new life principle works itself out. The just live by faith. A person who claims to be justified and who is in no way sanctified is self-deceived. Yeah, they are mistaken about their condition in Christ. And so we should examine ourselves and um, make our calling and election sure. We are, we are urged to do that. Think of faith and repentance as Siamese twins. Um, they are two persons, and yet they are inseparably attached. Where one is present, the other one always goes. That's the way these two graces work. And together, they are the means God uses to save us. All right?